0: the answer.
2: Yes, indeed it is. The Bob France Authority, good morning to you. Thank you so much for joining us at seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Monday, the third morning of the month of sep- or of December, rather. I don't know where I got September from. Third morning of the final month of the year of our Lord, 2018. How about we just do it that way? Really, really looking forward to uh, a lot of great conversations with you today. We are guest free, which means a lot of opportunities for your phone calls to get through. Congressman Jim Jordan is uh, on assignment today. Uh, meaning he's got some uh, very important committee work to do, and uh, he'll be joining us either tomorrow or Thursday, depending on the rest of the week and when Jim Comey comes in to testify before the House Judiciary Committee. Uh, so Congressman Jordan is off today, which means you are on 216 901 Either one of those numbers will get you into the program. If you'd rather not wait on hold, you can also send messages to me by way of Twitter at Radio Dunright or, fa- or France Radio. That's Radio Done Right, one word, or France Radio, also one word, F-R-A-N-T-Z Radio. You'll find me. And then the same thing is on Facebook, France Radio or Radio Done Right. You'll find me and leave me good messages, and I will respond. A lot of important news to get to today that is of the breaking variety. But, of course, I want to start with, well, what uh, I think most of us have done over the course, at some point, uh, over the course of the last 48 hours, in the uh, over the course of the weekend, and that is pay tribute and respect to one of the great presidents that we have known in our lifetimes, talking about 41, George H.W. Bush, uh, passed away at the age of 94, as you all know by now, and obviously uh, there are very serious plans for honoring the uh, man and, of course, his legacy as the leader of this great country.
0: Air Force One will depart Ellington Field in Houston this morning, bound for Joint Base Andrews, then a motorcade to the U.S. Capitol, followed by an arrival ceremony. The remains of the late president will lie in state in the rotunda this afternoon through Wednesday morning.
1: Everybody's kind of anticipating a great week of celebration. And, And it's not like there's mourning and sadness. My dad lived 94 amazing years. Um, And he was ready to go.
0: President Bush's son, Neil Bush, the funeral is Wednesday at Washington National Cathedral, final burial Thursday in Texas.
2: Yeah, at uh, College Station, site of Texas A&M, which is where President uh, George H.W. Bush's presidential library uh, resides, of course. And it is, of course, also where uh, his uh, wife, who passed away eight months ago, roughly, uh, Barbara Bush, uh, lies waiting for him. Yeah, I, I thought it was really important to uh, take note of what you just heard in that report from his son. <clears throat> this isn't a lot of tears. There's not a lot of tears and, and horrific sadness here because this is nothing to be sad about. Rather, what we're doing at this point in time is celebrating the life and the legacy of President George H. W. Bush, who, in addition to being a president, served in so many other capacities uh, this great nation, including as a fighter pilot. So this is—he's a, a hero in so many different states of the world. What we're doing now is celebrating the legacy of a life extraordinarily well lived, uh, and we're going to continue to do that. I've got a wonderful piece. Maybe you heard it over the weekend, if any of the weekend programs played it. But there's a wonderful piece put together by our friends at Salem uh, uh, Radio News. And uh, we're going to play it. It's a tribute and just kind of a <clears throat> summary, a five-minute summary of the glorious life and career of George H. W. Bush. I I join the uh, uh, you know the message being shared by uh, the president's son, and not George W. Bush, but as you said, Neil, uh, I I join the the message here, which is and second it, which is let's celebrate his life. Let's not mourn his death. And it really is a time for that because again, in 94, and he was in some failing health, he had been hospitalized a number of times. He was probably, you know, overdue, if you will, based on medical science. You know this was coming, and it was coming probably mercifully when it came, and uh, that seems to be the message being sent by uh, the Bush family, and it's one that we will uh, we will continue to honor and and recognize and respect. So the President of the United States, Bush forty one, passes on. He'll, his body, as you heard in the report, will lie in state uh, through Wednesday, and then they, there will be a private burial ceremony after that. So uh, all of the accolades and all of the recognition and. Uh, you know, just the salute and the respect for his legacy, all very well earned, all very, very well earned. So, uh, that's what, that's of course what happened over the weekend. Breaking, also over the weekend, even though we're called, we'll call it breaking news because we're just starting our show this morning, but also over the weekend, France is burning. The nation of France is burning. And it's all in the worst rioting that, excuse me, that that nation has endured. In, since the 1960s. And all, it all has to do with the same thing that the American left wants to do to the United States. And that is tax us to the point where we have no choice but open revolt. Now, fortunately, they didn't get an opportunity to do that. Fortunately, we have had a number of years where we have had a Republican-controlled Congress, and that that overtaxation was not going to happen. And when he was, or when it was, joined by a Republican president named Donald Trump, uh, we ensured that we weren't going to have any huge tax increases, at least for ten years. Still disappointed that there was a sunset clause on the Tax Reforms and Job Tax Reform and Jobs Act uh, of ten years. The corporate rates are forever. But the individual rates, yours, mine, uh, have a 10-year window. So we'll enjoy that for those 10 years, but this is what the American left wants. And if you are interested at all in heading off the kind of devastating economic impact and collateral damage that would come from the tax and spend policies of the American left, of the American Democrat Party, look no further than Paris. Violent protests ravaging Paris on Saturday. Citizens there furious over the rising taxes and the higher cost of living. According to police, 133 injured, 412 arrested, all kinds of vandalism being done, including to the Arc de Triomphe. Uh, this is not the first time violent protests have hit the Capitol. This is the third straight weekend that the, uh, this has happened in Paris. It initially began November 17th when a gas tax increase was announced. The riots took place this weekend, however, have been considered the worst in a generation, at least going, again, back to the 60s. French President Emmanuel Macron uh, yesterday, visited the Arc de Triomphe and uh, the monument in which uh, graffiti, uh, uh, or uh, which was graffitied rather during the riots, he vowed to hold those responsible for the damage accountable. But it is the rioters and the protesters who are vowing to hold the president accountable. The movement is comprised, according to reports, of average working citizens, and who are furious, and they refer to themselves as the Yellow Vests. According to the New York Times, the name comes from the yellow safety vest motorists are supposed to wear when they have a breakdown on the side of the road, and that 's what they 're wearing they 're furious over the gas tax increases, which have indeed devastated so many of the individual uh, you know middle class in uh, in in France and why of course, did they jack up a gas tax because of climate change because of the aptly named Paris. Climate accords. This is what happens when you allow the government to essentially, essentially rather, um, raise taxes arbitrarily in the name of something that cannot be controlled. Climate change. And the people of France know it, and they are furious. And moreover, this is just the beginning. This is really just the beginning. France is just, and maybe they're not a beginning, they're a continuation of, this is one small portion. Let's phrase, let's phrase it that way. This is one small portion of what is happening in a destabilized Europe. Europe is in a very bad way right now. You have Great Britain. Excuse me, I'm fighting off a sneeze here. Um, you have Great Britain <clears throat> exiting the EU uh, hopefully sooner rather than later. And Theresa May was just discussing that very fact about a week ago, uh, in, uh, England. You have Italy virtually bankrupt. You have France with an open borders policy. You have Germany with an open borders policy, thanks to Angela Merkel, being overrun by a culture, the radical Islamic culture that is just running roughshod over the streets of, uh, of these, ver- of the cities in these, uh, in these nations. You have an open borders policy there that has just led to devastation, and now you have this extraordinarily high taxation, which has the French people livid. How are they supposed to make ends meet? And you can't drive. You, we don't want you drive. We don't want you buying gas. That's the point, of course, because we have to reduce our carbon, our carbon footprint. This is what the American left wants to do here. Take a look at some of the images. Take a look at some of the videos. They are shocking. Honestly, this protest from the French people at the French capital, as they torch cars, as they smash windows, as they loot stores, as they graffiti famous um, French landmarks. I mean, it almost looks like an American antifa uh, rally. It almost just looks like, truthfully, looks like there's a conservative speaker coming to a college campus. That's what said. That's how it's done in the United States by the left. Let's see what happens if the taxes rise so high in the United States. But here's the irony, of course. The irony is, the rioters, Antifa, and the like that I'm talking about, the the American left, uh, would be the ones responsible for this. They they elected a majority now of the United States Congress, the House of Representatives, Democrats. They're the ones who are going to increase taxes. Those are the ones who wish to increase taxes. Those are the ones who are livid with President Trump for pulling out of the Paris Climate Accords. They're the ones who want us to reduce our carbon footprint by instituting a carbon tax. So they're the ones, literally, who bring this on. Same thing in leftist France. They bring it on, and then when the taxes are too high and their economy is shrinking, they they riot. It just... Doesn't work. And the last thing in the world that we need is for our government to cave in the way Macron caved in in France. Do not give in. Start talking about carbon taxes and the like uh, all to appease a certain part of the voting population. No, just stop it. The president was right to pull out of the climate accord. The president was right to say that model that was released. Did you see those models? This was a big deal. Last week. Actually, it was on Black Friday, so a week ago, this you know, this past Friday, so ten days ago, let's put it that way. Um, the uh, Bush, or Bush, the uh, Trump administration released uh, the climate change report, and of course, the left jumped all over it and said, "Oh my God, look at that! Even the Trump-led government says that the." climate change issues that we're facing in this world right now are going to be devastating for mankind, devastating for the American people. But as Ryan Zinke, Interior Secretary, pointed out, that's because all they grasp as, at, at every turn is the worst case scenario.
0: It's, it gives models. So if you take the, the extreme case, you're right, it's dire. If you take the best case, it's not much. So it's different models, but if you take the worst case each time, then it paints a pretty bad picture. Do
2: you know how many dozens and dozens of climate change models there are? There are so many, but he's exactly right. They take the worst case scenario and say, this could happen if we don't get in front of climate change right now and institute carbon taxes and so on and so forth. They are essentially lying to you, saying that the worst case scenario is the most definite scenario. We cannot allow that, and we cannot allow this country to be torn apart economically and then on the streets the way it's happening in France right now. Europe is a model and for the left leftist elitist elitist democrats in this country who honestly look to Europe as, you know, as being the goal. This is the this is the perfect society. This is what we should try to emulate. That's why we elected Donald Trump. Because he doesn't emulate European society which is falling apart at the seams. He believes in America first. And thank God we have him. More on this, and I want your phone calls too at 2169 010945 coming up on the Bob France Authority. Excellent. 926, now the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. We're going to squeeze in a phone call here uh, toward the bottom of the hour. We will talk. And we are guest-free, like I said, uh, at the top of the show, so you don't have to uh, worry about getting bumped for a guest. Uh, if you're on hold, stay on hold. If you're not on hold, get on hold, and we'll put you on the air. Uh, Congressman Jordan will not be joining us today. Uh, he's got a legislative matter to attend to. We may be on tomorrow, and that all depends on James Comey, who, by the way, apparently has struck a deal Regarding his congressional testimony, there's been a legal battle going on uh, with House Republicans, and yesterday uh, they apparently agreed that he will testify behind closed doors. What's he got to hide? I'm just curious. On Capitol Hill this week and maybe tomorrow, after receiving assurances that a transcript of his interview will be uh, released to the public. Uh, So there's a little bit of a standoff here. Comey sought a public hearing. Uh, oh, he sought the public hearing, claiming in a court filing that he feared selective leaks from Republicans. But in the agreement, Comey's attorneys acknowledged the request to quash the congressional subpoena was, was unorthodox, suggesting the motion had little chance of succeeding. So they struck a deal saying he will testify behind closed doors and his testimony then will be released to the public by way of transcripts. I don't know why they're doing that. It makes no sense to me. But uh, this is something uh, that I'm glad is happening because uh, the Judiciary Committee absolutely needs to speak to James Comey. They, his, he has said so many contradictory things since his last appearance before Congress. They absolutely need to get him in front of that panel. Uh, okay, so anyway, that means Jim Jordan is not on today, by the by. He may be on tomorrow. He may be on Thursday, depending on that situation. So you can dial two one six nine zero one zero nine four five, and we'll put you on the radio. Mark.
3: Yeah, uh, in Fairview
2: Park. Thanks for waiting. Mark, you're on the air. Go ahead.
3: Good morning, Bob. Dobry den. pan France, which is a a check, I'm of Czech ancestry. But the reason I bring that up is because uh, uh I'd like to say, mention something about the American left. Uh, uh when you were talking last uh, Friday about that uh, song that from the 1940s uh that they were eliminating. Uh, oh, baby, I, I,
2: baby, I, it's cold outside. Yeah, local radio station. By the way, they achieved their their goal. That radio station 's decision in town, and i 'm not going to give them to give their name out, but that radio station uh, this story went viral. It is all over international news it 's all over national news. I mean, if you look around i mean they 're talking about this little station in Cleveland, Ohio that won 't play baby it 's cold outside because they fear it triggers rape, uh, <laughs> which is essentially what they said, and uh, mm-hmm. just so much lunacy
3: well, one of the uh, what came to my mind when I was listening to you in the car on the radio. There's a great movie by Kazan called The Man on the High Wire, and it's about a Czech circus, and the, uh, the owner is brought in by the local commissar and the associates and grilled. Fantastic scene, because one of the things he's grilled on is a, a clown kicking a guy in the rear end three times. Communists only want one kick because it's, it's, uh, <laughs> more is humiliating to the proletariat. And the point I'm trying to make bob is is what's the difference between that scene and there's many others like that and the banning of this 1940 song i'd also like to point out i'm just watching tv now they got lawmakers now want uh uh are going after mcdonald's they want gender-free toys and the movie the movie is great it sums up all this stuff we're going through now and that's all i got for you
2: well, thanks. Uh, I appreciate the phone call, Mark. Uh, I, I don't know that movie, to be honest with you, but I'm uh, interested in looking it up, especially if it's got those uh, uh, those analogies that you're talking about. And by the by, um, I've got something for you I'll share with you next half hour. The news is now, but I'm going to share this with you next half hour. I have the answer to the Baby It's Cold Outside dilemma. Uh by way of another song which I think you are really really going to enjoy the baby a baby it's cold outside a controversy that was stirred up last week by a local radio station and the president of the local rape crisis center which says that song promotes rape culture in the United States uh I've got a response to that you'll hear it right after this on AM 1420 station <laughs> This is the show over? I think this is our show closing music. <laughs> it just struck me. This is enjoyed the silence. I guess we're just done early today. It's nine thirty. Sam, can I go home? Is that what you're telling me? We just done. We just. No? Uh, you're just teasing me, aren't you? You're just teasing me and pretending it's 11 o'clock. That's what's going on here. Uh 9.35 about France. To throw. I'm not going anywhere. Speaking of music, though, by the by, I do want to share this with you. Obviously, on Friday, we brought this to uh, your attention here, and then it got a lot of attention nationally. I, I actually saw the story on uh, Fox 8. Uh, Fox Eight News did a story in an interview with the, some of the principals involved over at a local Cleveland radio station that says our listeners have told us they don't want to hear "baby, it's cold outside" anymore. They say it's offensive and it promotes rape culture. And then they did an interview with the uh, with the um, president of the Cleveland or yeah, the Cleveland Rape Crisis Prevention Center, and they're saying yes, this promotes rape culture. This is Me Too era. Don't you understand that you can't have this guy trying to get this girl to stay. By talking to her, by trying to talk her into staying and extending their date. That's like raping someone. You heard this, right? This is what they said. Now, of course, they were lying. Their listeners didn't say this. Multiple polls uh, indicated that everybody who was asked about this, everybody responded anyway. About ninety to ninety-five percent of the respondents say, "Of course, you shouldn't ban this song from your holiday playlist. It's just a winter song at Christmas time. You know, about uh, two people are on a date, and one of them wants it to end, and the other one wants it to continue. Uh, how this promotes rape culture is anybody's guess. Nobody understands this."
1: But,
4: baby, it's cold
2: outside. Baby, it's cold outside, of course, can be translated by Me Too feminists and uh, uh, other leftist individuals who want to suck the joy out of everything in our lives. Baby, it's cold outside says, take off your clothes. That's what that means.
5: I've got to go away. But, baby, it's cold
2: I said strip. Outside.
1: This evening has been,
4: been, been so you
1: stop. This
2: evening has been so very nice, she says. Yeah, right before she gets raped.
3: I'll hold your
5: hands.
2: They're just like
5: My ice. mother will start to
2: beautiful. worry. You're beautiful. What's your hurry? Don't go. That's rape culture? This is some sort of a sexual assault taking place, really?
1: My mother will be pacing the floor.
3: Listen to the fireplace So roll. really,
1: I'd better
3: scurry. Beautiful, please. Don't well, maybe
1: just a, half a drink Put more.
3: Some records on while I the
1: neighbors might think so this that.
2: is the this is the song obviously I don't want to be played again although I did have a great suggestion from my friend Charlie the politically incorrect mechanic who said to me after Friday's show you are going to play baby it's cold outside as your closing music right every show between now and Christmas and I thought that is one heck of an idea. So, producer Dr. Lockhart, uh, maybe we might want to think about that, by the by. But anyway, he said, uh, uh, I, I said I didn't want to play the entire thing, but you remember the song, and you know the song, and you know all of the arguments now, and you know the stupidity of suggesting that this man, who is trying to talk his date into staying, is not raping her. It did lead to, um, well, a response of sorts. Um, and I want to give all the credit in the world, To an individual who is asking for no credit. So I won't say his name at his request, but a fantastically talented radio producer with whom I am associated gave us the um, answer to Baby It's Cold Outside. I think you'll like
0: Hey, let's turn on some Christmas music. Put us in the Christmas spirit for shopping. Good idea. Oh, not, not this song. Huh? Why not? What are you talking about?
5: This song shouldn't play Baby, it's Christmas time It needs to go away but baby, it's Christmas time Who cares what you think You
6: need to grow thicker that skin
5: song's not okay It's not really a
0: Christmas song anyway
6: It's creepy
5: how he calls her baby We change the station Can't baby. listen
0: to that song anymore That's what the button is The for. way he disrespects that lady you gonna have to calm down Kick his butt to the floor I think I'll show myself to the you door You don't understand Baby, it's Christmas time you're just a man. But baby, it's Christmas time.
5: It's taken away. It's gonna be okay Oh, my Christmas cheer She, it died. was
0: your favorite song last year. The train. lyrics are so demeaning. You must find me in every line. I really think the song is just fine. What did you say? I'll put on the chipmunks. How about a kiss? Uh, no.
5: Baby, it's Christmas
0: time. Okay, look, I don't want to upset you. Let's just turn off the Christmas music.
5: Why are you being such a Scrooge? Ugh. <laughs> Can you <dig> it?
2: <laughs> Oh, so very well done. And it kills me that the uh, creator of that phenomenal response to the Christmas, uh, it's cold outside rather, uh, uh, controversy has asked me to keep his name silent. He wants no credit. He just wanted to share, uh, that with you. I just think that is fantastic. Thank you so very much for that. And yes, I know I'll be getting plenty of requests for that. Uh, I'll play it again. I'll probably play it once an hour. Uh, the rest of maybe between now and Christmas. <laughs> and I'll probably also have to find a way to upload it to social media so that you can share it with your friends. But that was Baby It's Christmas Time. By the cold outsiders, we're just going to call them the cold outsiders featuring uh, i don't know if I can say her name either. <laughs> I was going to say featuring the singer the female voice there, but I don't know if I could do that either. but there you go. I thought you might enjoy that. I know I certainly did all right let's go back to the phones. Esther is on uh, a m fourteen twenty the answer esther good morning, go right ahead
5: thanks i uh, on hold. it was kind of hard to hear some of the lyrics, but I heard enough of it. it's quite entertaining. I was thinking how gracious George Bush Sr. was when he lost the presidency in 1992. And that kind of relates to the historical information I've heard partly on Salem and then partly from a chart I found called Party Control of the Presidency and Congress. And that chart shows that in 1991 for George Sr., the Senate was ahead, Democrats ahead by 12. In the House, Democrats were ahead by 100. In 1992, George Bush was not, uh, well, they didn't go through with the Senate hearings for uh, Supreme Court, but he was very gracious, of, George Bush was gracious about being denied an opportunity. And here we've got a couple of years later, I mean, sorry, right now even, people are complaining that Obama was stolen, uh, the uh, Garland uh, issue um, uh, was uh, stolen from Obama, but is back in the... Uh, bush senior era when the senate i guess established this rule that during a presidential election year such as 1992 they weren't going to have hearings and bush was really gracious about that but anybody supporting obama has not been gracious when mr obama was not allowed to have garland as a nominee
2: well, that's a really interesting point that you make, uh, uh, Esther, and I'm and I'm, glad, and I'm glad you called for two reasons. Number one, I'm going to follow up on that because there is a great, <clears throat> great uh, analysis of what you're trying to describe right now uh, on the Daily Caller about the president's far-reaching and really long-lasting legacy on the Supreme Court. Uh, he did. He made he made a lot of serious changes. He appointed two justices to the high court uh, and then cleared the way for three more. His appointments helped set the trajectory, quoting from the Daily Caller now, to the nascent uh, conservative legal establishment and permanently altered Republican perceptions of the judicial selection process. His legacy pick was Justice Clarence Thomas, who has served on the court for over 25 years now. His writings as a justice have done significant work toward articulating a coherent conservative legal philosophy, which has since captured wide swaths of the federal judiciary. The justice's influence is far-reaching as a matter of both scholarship and personnel. His uh, acolytes now populate the federal bench and Donald Trump's White House. Trump has appointed 22 Thomas clerks to senior positions in his administration or the federal courts as of this past August. One observer called Thomas's clerks, again, this is George uh, H.W. Push's appointee to the court, Clarence Thomas, Uh, uh, called thomas's clerks the legal brain trust of the trump administration while another bemoaned the clarence thomas takeover of the executive and judicial judicial branches so just by the appointment of thomas uh george hw bush the great former president 41 uh has had has had a long decades lasting impact on uh the supreme court and on the federal bench in general however Thomas's confirmation amidst allegations of sexual misconduct, you'll recall, permanently sullied his standing in liberal eyes, and some legal commentators believe Bush's pick ultimately diminished the Supreme Court. It is with deep and profound sadness, said Justice Thomas in a s- uh, statement on Saturday, that Virginia and I learned of the passing of President Bush. I was honored to be nominated by him to the U.S. Co- uh, Court of Appeals.
4: Representative-elect
2: Alex... I don't know where that came from. Apologies. Um... Let me go back to the to the uh, Daily Caller piece here. Uh, I was honored to be nominated by him to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit and the Supreme Court of the United States. Both he and Mrs. Bush were the essence of decency and kindness then and throughout the years. Virginia and I extend our thoughts and prayers to the entire Bush family. Now, to the point about Bush's legacy with the Supreme Court, it goes beyond Clarence Thomas. His other appointment was Justice David Souter. Hmm, now we are in a very different place, aren't we? Then a little-known judge from New Hampshire, though Souter would prove to be a diligent, highly respected jurist, he was an enormous disappointment, for obvious reasons, to conservatives, as he voted reliably with the Supreme Court's liberal bloc. Souter rejected formal interpretive methods like Thomas's originalism in favor of an approach that acknowledged ambiguity or contradiction in law and looked to human experience to resolve it. Speaking at Harvard... In 2010, he summarized his views with a favorable quote of former Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes, Certainty generally is illusion and repose is not our destiny. Court watchers believe Souter became alienated from his conservative colleagues as time progressed. In other words, he wasn't as bad, obviously, wasn't as liberal in his thinking and in his... um, Uh, his view of the Constitution as being a living body rather than, uh, uh, you know, uh, stated and and forever law, Uh, when President Bush, 41, appointed him. This happened as time progressed. There is a 2012 article in The New Yorker that claims Chief Justice John Roberts went to great lengths to ensure that suitors' draft dissent in the Citizens United case, for example, which struck down limits on corporate campaign expenditures, was never published. Souter then retired in 2009 and was succeeded, of course, by Sonia Sotomayor. So uh, bitterness still lingers among Republicans over the Souter nomination, such that many conservatives give no quarter to prospective judicial nominees whose views are even somewhat obscure, which is one of the reasons why we have the battles we do now in uh, the Supreme Court confirmation process. We don't want to nominate someone who we think is a certain of a certain philosophy, ideology, And, you know, a believer and a practitioner of constitutional originalism only to find out that that's not who they are. So, you know, these justices or these justice nominees now are really being vetted more thoroughly than ever before to make sure that they are going to, if you are conservative anyway, adhere to the uh, originalist principles of the Constitution. Whereas if you are liberal, they want to make sure that you don't think everything is carved in stone and you are willing to, quote, change with the times, if you will. Bush 41 also nominated uh, and appointed uh, Justice Samuel Alito to the Third Circuit Court of Appeals, where he would serve until his elevation to the Supreme Court in 2006 under his son, George W. Bush. So clearly, George H.W. Bush had a massive influence and a far-reaching Supreme Court legacy between the appointments of Thomas, which, of course, still are affecting and, as the piece pointed out, kind of, uh, have resulted in the brain trust leadership, if you will, of the Trump administration to suitor who really changed the way presidents, particularly Republican presidents, chose their nominees for the high court because you don't want to get burned by somebody who, th- who, who you think is a certain way and obviously turns out to be another. Now the other reason I'm glad that Esther called in with that comment about George uh, H. W. Bush is I've been looking for the right time to play this special SRN News Salem Radio News um, tribute and obituary, if you will, to the late president. I do have it, and I am going to. F- I have found my spot for it, and that spot is right after we check our traffic now, right here on AM 1420, The Answer. lives. All right, 9.53 now. The Bob France Authority continues on AM 1420. The answer, I'm going to take a minute here to spend a few minutes to uh, honor uh, the late President Bush 41. Uh, George H.W. Bush uh, passed away on Saturday at the age of 94. Uh, You probably woke up to that Saturday morning. And uh, obviously the last 24 to 48 hours have been just filled with Uh, tributes and um, uh, uh, commentary on his legacy, Uh, the legacy of the great gentleman from Texas. He's just been uh, uh, one of the classiest, most dignified presidents and former presidents we have ever known. And uh, the world, rather than mourning his passing today, I think we are celebrating his life. Um, You know, don't mourn his death, celebrate his life, celebrate his legacy. He lived 94 glorious years. And... uh, Salem Radio News, SRN News, put together a wonderful little retrospective on the career and on the life of George H.W. Bush. And it's something I feel that is worth our time. SRN News presents The Life of
4: George H.W. Bush. Here's White House correspondent Greg Clugston. George Herbert Walker Bush served as the 41st President of the United States. I, George Herbert Walker Bush, do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. That I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. But before taking the presidential oath of office in January 1989, Bush already had served his country in a variety of roles as Vice President, CIA Director, Congressman, and Naval Aviator. On his 18th birthday, George Bush joined the U.S. Navy and became, at the time, the youngest aviator in the service. He was a fighter pilot during World War II, flying dozens of combat missions. On one mission, his plane went down in the ocean, and he was rescued hours later. After graduating from Yale University, George and his wife Barbara moved to Texas, where he worked in the oil business. In 1966, Bush was elected to Congress, representing a district near Houston. Over the next two decades, Bush held a variety of government and political jobs, including ambassador to the United Nations, chairman of the Republican National Committee, U.S. liaison to China, and director of central intelligence. George Bush first ran for the White House in 1980, losing to Ronald Reagan. But Reagan tapped Bush to be his vice president, a job he held for eight years. At the end of the Reagan administration, Bush ran for president and promised not to raise taxes if elected.
1: Read my lips. No new taxes. In
4: 1988, he won the Republican Party's presidential nomination and shared his vision at the GOP convention in New Orleans. I will keep America moving forward, always forward, for a better America for an endless, enduring dream and a thousand points of light. This is my mission, and I will complete it. On election day, George Bush carried 40 states, defeating Democrat Michael Dukakis. During the summer of 1990, Iraq invaded Kuwait, and after months of negotiations and warnings, the U.S. launched a coalition assault on Iraqi forces, and it was a decisive victory. Kuwait is liberated. Iraq's army is defeated. Our military objectives are met. In 1992, President Bush ran for re-election and lost to Democrat Bill Clinton. But George H.W. Bush would return to the White House years later as the proud father of an American president. His oldest son, George W. Bush, was elected in 2000, making them the only father and son to serve as president since John and John Quincy Adams. Bush remained active after the White House, including work at the Points of Light Foundation he founded to encourage and empower the spirit of service. And the former fighter pilot made headlines when he started skydiving to celebrate milestone birthdays. He jumped out of planes on his 75th, 80th, 85th, and 90th birthdays, often with the help of the U.S. Army Golden Knights parachute team.
3: It all worked out. I was in his lap on the plane, and then he strapped me all in. These guys were right at the side, and it was very reassuring
4: and just wonderful. At her husband's 80th birthday gala, former First Lady Barbara Bush said her marriage to President George H.W. Bush has been filled with surprises
5: he said he would show me the world well he certainly has done that and much much more
4: on several occasions former presidents bush and clinton teamed up to raise money for victims of natural disasters they traveled to hurricane zones and recorded joint public service announcements you now we know americans are generous compassionate people and that's why we come to you again not as presidents but as private citizens
1: the best way to help now is to make a cash donation
4: In 2011, President Obama paid tribute to his predecessor by bestowing upon him the highest civilian award in the United States, the Medal of Freedom. His humility and his
6: decency reflects the very best of the American spirit.
4: Former First Lady Barbara Bush died in April 2018 at the age of 92. At the time of her death, she and George H.W. Bush were married for 73 years, the longest marriage of any presidential couple in American history. In his personal life, George H. W. Bush was a family man who succeeded in business and politics. Who loved boating and fishing, and wore colorful socks. And as a president, Bush will be remembered for a life largely devoted to public service, for being a champion of volunteerism, and for displaying his civility and decency in politics. I'm Greg Clugston at the White House.
2: In twenty, the answer. It's a Monday. The third morning of the 12th month of the year of our Lord, 2018. I hope you enjoyed that little retrospective on the life and career of the great George H.W. Bush that we closed the last hour with. Hour number two, like hour number one, is guest free, which means dial now. Your hold time will be short. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five Triple Eight two eight one eleven ten. We do not have interviews scheduled for this hour today, which means we really can hear from you at any time you wish. Twitter, radio done right. You can always tweet to me and I'll read good tweets on the air. And Facebook, France Radio, F R A N T Z Radio, one word, no spaces, no underscores. I want to go back to something I mentioned somewhat in passing in the first hour of the broadcast about climate change. Uh, As you know, the uh, uh, Trump administration uh, released uh, uh, some information about uh, the the potential for uh, various... Uh, shifts in climate and its impact on the, you know, the people of Earth and uh, on the uh, uh, the uh, uh, air, the oceans, the land, and so on and so forth, about a week and a half. We actually did it on Black Friday, so 10 days ago. And, of course, the Trump administration was accused of trying to bury the report because it, it confirms that the worst fears of global warming alarmists are coming true. And so they tried to bury that by releasing it on Black Friday. That was the uh, the accusation made against the president by the mainstream media. Ryan Zinke, the uh, Secretary of the Interior, responded to that, of course, saying, what are you talking about? Uh, these climate change models, there are many of them. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of them. There are probably hundreds of them. And what they've done here is they've picked out the worst few models and said, this is how bad it can be. It doesn't mean this is how it's going to be, but that's how they present it. It's, it gives models. So if you take the the extreme case, you're right, it's dire.
0: If you take the best case, it's not much. So it, it's different models, but if you take the worst case each time, then it paints a pretty bad picture.
2: Yeah, and that's what they try to do. And and, and it, it brought me to this. I, I did a little bit of researching and checking and... I found um one of the many 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 changes uh that have been made by the client climatologists and scientists and so on and so forth this is from Forbes Forbes magazine Back in 2012. Now, if you recall, that's only six years ago. If you recall, that's about four years after, because wasn't it around 2008 or so that Al Gore released his movie? Maybe, it was, maybe that was early. But when did when did uh, Gore's Fahrenheit or not Fahrenheit his uh, his uh, global warming uh, movie come out? Uh, I can't remember exactly when his movie came out now, but you know, he, I think it was 2004, or 2008, somewhere in that neighborhood. Telling us that the planet was burning up. The planet has a fever was his famed uh line. And uh when you get a fever you go to the doctor. And we have the prescription to fixing our fix our burning planet right now, he tried to say. So just a few short years after that, uh I get this from well, we got this from Forbes uh and I just found this from Forbes dot com. Sorry, says Peter Ferrara, uh global warming alarmists, the earth is actually cooling. Climate change itself is already in the process of definitively rebutting climate alarmists who think human use of fossil fuels is causing ultimately catastrophic global warming. That's because natural climate cycles have already turned from warming to cooling. Global temperatures have already been declining for more than 10 years, and global temperatures will continue to decline for another two decades or more. That's one of the most interesting conclusions to come out of the 7th International Climate Change Conference. The conference featured serious natural science, uh, contrary to the self-interested political science that you hear from government finance global warming alarmists seeking to justify widely expanded regulatory and taxation powers for governmental bodies or government body wannabes such as the United Nations. See for yourself, their conference speeches are all online. What you will see are calm, dispassionate presentations by serious pedigreed scientists discussing and explaining reams of data. In sharp contrast to these climate realists, the climate alarmists have long admitted they cannot defend their theory that humans are causing catastrophic global warming in public debate. With the conference presentations online, let's see if the alarmists really do have any response. The Heartland Institute has effectively become the international headquarters of the climate realists, an analog to the UN's uh, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC. It has achieved that status through these international climate conferences and the publication of climate change reconsidered uh, volumes produced in conjunction with the Non-Governmental International Panel on Climate Change, the NIPC. Uh, C. Those climate change reconsidered volumes are an equivalently thorough scientific rebuttal to ig- the uh, irregular assessment reports of the IPC. You can ask IPCC, excuse me, you can ask any advocate of human-caused catastrophic global warming what their response is to the uh, climate change reconsidered. If they have none, they're not qualified to discuss the issue intelligently. And then it goes into some of the records of the temperatures in the 1940s to the 1970s, and it talks about things that we have mentioned on this program many times, uh, about a coming ice age. Ice ages have cyclically occurred every roughly every 10,000 years, with a new one actually due around now. And then yet, shockingly, even before humankind populated the Earth, somehow the planet warmed, and the ice melted, and it went away for 10,000 years. So I don't want to get all bogged down to the minutiae of the rest of the article in Forbes, except to point out there was a very serious, credible argument made by the scientific community in 2012, just six years ago, that the Earth was not, in fact, warming, it was cooling, and that an ice age is coming. I don't care if it's right or wrong. I want you to listen carefully. I do not care if it was right or wrong. I don't know if the earth is warming, and I don't know if it's cooling. The key is, neither do the scientists. That's why they have hedged their bets and called it climate change. Now, no matter what happens, warming or cooling, a period of extreme hurricane activity versus a period of no hurricane activity. An especially brutally cold winter or an extraordinarily mild winter. No matter what happens, they can say, see, the climate's changing and it's causing all of these things. It doesn't matter whether they were right about it warming or were right about it cooling in these two different models, the fact is they've changed their mind over and over and over again, which leads me to believe it is the most foolhardy thing in the world to do what Emmanuel Macron has done in France. He and they have instituted a massive carbon tax in the form of a gasoline tax in order to reduce their carbon emissions. And all it's doing is killing the middle class of France. It's killing them. They can't afford to buy gas at those prices. Their cost of living is going through the roof, and it's all because of the quote-unquote Paris Climate Accords. Macron is leading this, of course, as the president of France, and his people are dying. And that's why they are revolting. That's why they are rioting. The worst riots in decades. They're literally talking about the 1960s, the last time Paris had to deal with something as mammoth as these riots. And it's all all of these torched cars, smashed windows, looted stores and the like, graffiti on the Arc de Triomphe. All of these things are a result of the people uh, re- revolting against the gas tax. This is a rebellion. Now, the president... Macron denounced the violence from the G20 summit in Argentina, saying those who attack police will be held accountable, yada, yada. And, of course, they should be. I would never advocate this type of behavior in the United States, but what I will do is I will warn of its coming. If we were to follow suit, if Nancy Pelosi's reemergence as Speaker of the House in a Democrat-controlled house leads to some sort of a climate change change, uh, sponsored carbon tax or massive gas tax or other fossil fuel tax in the United States and if the Democrats follow suit by winning the presidency in 2020 and ousting Donald Trump that's what's going to happen and what's happening in France today will be happening in our streets in the streets of Cleveland, in the streets of New York, in the streets of Chicago and in other places make no mistake and I'm not calling for it, again I'm just predicting it. Violence has nothing to do with peaceful expression of a legitimate anger, and no cause justifies attacks on police or pillaging stores and burning buildings, Macron said in Buenos Aires. He's right. It doesn't justify this, but this is what he has brought on. The worst urban violence they have seen since 2005, the biggest rioting, worst rioting since the 1960s. And all of this, again, over carbon taxes and gas taxes based on phony climate change um, uh, uh, predictions. It brought me to this piece from last month by John Nolte at Breitbart. Here's a very simple question for anybody who's upset over me and others like me not buying into the climate change hysteria how many other scientific doomsday prophecies do we have to see come and go and be debunked before we're allowed to be skeptical of the next one, including the report uh, issued on, uh, uh, on Black Friday by the Trump administration saying in the worst-case scenario, a lot of really bad things can happen. But as John Nolte pointed out, this is how old I am, old enough to remember being told that by now, Number one, we would be living through a new ice age by the year 2000. These are all documented and sourced, by the way, from the climatologists, these predictions. By the year 2000, we would be living through a new ice age. Number two, we would all die when the ozone layer has disappeared. Number three, the oceans would be dead. Number four, global cooling would destroy the world. Number five, acid rain would destroy our forests. Number six, overpopulation would result in worldwide famine. Number seven, we would deplete our natural resources. Number eight, we would run out of oil. Number nine, the polar ice caps would melt. Number 10, Manhattan would be underwater by now. Number 11, people who live in cities will have to wear gas masks. Number 12, Nitrogen buildup would make the land unusable. And number 13, decaying organic pollutants would use up all of the oxygen in America's rivers, causing freshwater fish to suffocate. That's just the big stuff. The world-shaking predictions of the oh-so-holy-unbelievable scientific consensus that they've gotten horribly wrong just during my lifetime. That science was also declared settled. These are facts. These things are going to happen, we were told. Here we are in 2018. None of them have happened, and yet we're supposed to believe that the worst-case scenarios put out by those climate models they chose to use among just hundreds of models uh, on Black Friday uh, show us that we have to change our ways or else this planet is doomed. How many times must we be lied to? about all of these things before it's okay for us to say, yeah, not going to buy it anymore, not going to buy the lies anymore, going to be skeptical about this one this time. It is nothing but a scheme. It is honestly a scheme. People are getting rich over these clients. Grants are being given to all of these different organizations, all of these different scientific bodies and communities and so on and so forth and they are taking all of this money to study climate change. They have to come back with something. If they came back saying, yeah, it's all good, everything's fine, there's nothing humans can do about it, they lose their grants. It's kind of like a road crew. And I know i got to get to the break here. It's kind of like the Ohio Department of Transportation. If they don't use all of the money in their budget then they lose that money in next year's budget. So they'll tear up roads that don't need to be torn up just to improve them. We're going to repave them even if they're fine because we've got to use all of our budget. We've got to get all of our guys their hours so that we can get it next year. It's the same way. They've got to come back with something to prove their worth. Uh, at these climate change uh, uh, models, these climate change, th- those who fund and those who put together these climate change models and these studies and this research, or else they lose all of their grants. Don't buy it, not for a second. Let's not become Europe 2.0. Back after this. E L E. Alright, ten twenty seven short segment here. Let's squeeze a call in or two before the bottom of the hour. Ron in Brook Park wants to hit this climate change story. Hey Ron, how are you, sir?
6: I'm doing well, Bob. How about you?
2: Good. Merry Christmas to you.
6: Same to you and your family. Hey, listen, I got a couple of points real quick, mm-hmm. Do you notice how now they're going further down the road with their farce? In other words, they used to tell us ten years from now, we're gonna you know, New York's gonna be underwater and everything. Well, people like you and I are still alive and we remember the why. So now what they do is they go like 80 or 90 years down the road because they know nobody alive today is going to be alive 80, 90 years from now to be able to say, ah, what a liar they was back in 2018. You know, they're they're kind of slick on that. And if you notice, too, everything in this world can be rectified with money. Do you remember years ago when, they, when, the, when the big craze was creating a shortage like nat- natural gas and that? And as soon as they got the prices up, son of a gun, we found all kinds of gas. Now... They Do the same thing with this, hey, you know we're going to pollute the world, and we're gonna kill everybody. But if you buy these carbon credits from Al Gore <laughs>
5: well,
6: see we can we can rectify that problem. All you people got to do is give us a little bit more of your hard earned money like they're trying to do in France, and doggone it this this catastrophe can be avoided. Do you notice money always seems to cure everything.
2: Yeah, it always does, and and your point your point about it being, uh, you know, them expanding the models out to like eighty or ninety years, I don't think it's just you know so that you know we'll be gone because everything will be remembered, uh, his, history will record things. The internet is going to be forever, you know, history books are going to be forever. All these things. The reason they're pushing them out to eighty to ninety years is because they 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 uh, um, they can continue to collect the money. Uh, for that hmm. period of time uh, wh- by point. saying, look, we're 10 years in toward this. We're 20 years in. We've got to increase the tax now. We've got to increase. They can continue to do this without being disproven. If they make a 10-year model, as you know, and we just did, 10 years have gone by. New York still isn't underwater. The sea level aren't rising and yada, yada, yada. Um, so therefore, we can say, legitimately, justifiably, justifiably and correctly, stop with the ridiculous taxes. Stop with this rid- rid- ridiculous carbon credit purchases. Look, mm-hmm. you were all wrong. So they're pushing it out there just so that they can collect for decades to come without anybody being able to see you were wrong. If you're telling me it isn't going to change until 2070 or 2080 or 2090, well, then obviously we, you know, they, we may be indeed be on track for that. Uh, so we better, we better pony up the dough. So yeah, they're just. That,
6: that, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. Bob yeah. They I said, mean, they'll 20- be forever
2: money. the lies will always be able to be told
6: well like i said you know the people won't be alive but you're right it'll be recorded history but we won't be alive to say you know what liars they were right like I said, right money money always seems to cure just by you know what is buying a carbon credit <laughs> other than making people rich going to do to change a darn thing and the answer is nothing and with you're that, exactly, I'll leave you, my friend. Have a good day.
2: You're exactly right. Thanks so much. Appreciate the call as always, Ron. There's Ron in Burke Park, and he's 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 100 correct uh, about the money part and about the the model part. Um, you know, they're going to continue to come up with these models, but they're extending them out now. He's right. They're looking out. And they're saying by this time because now uh, they'll be able to continue to make that money. They'll be able to continue and, and guess what? Like I said before, if the American left isn't careful. What's happening in Paris right now and what happened there over this weekend is coming to the streets of this country. And, and you know what? I'm not predicting, or excuse me, I'm not, uh, calling for it. I'm not saying I support it. I do not support any violent protest of taxation or actions that, uh, you know, that, that, that we disagree with because we're not anarchists. We're not Antifa. We're not the American left. I don't, I don't want these things, but I predict they will happen. There will be a revolution a second American revolution if we ever get to the state where Europe is right now. Their open borders, their Paris climate accords, their carbon taxes, gas taxes, uh, and their leaderless uh, nations, honestly. Uh, if it ever gets like that here, there will be the same types of conflicts in the streets that you're seeing in Paris right now. Be careful, American left, what you wish for. All right, 1030, let's get news now at AM 1420, the answer